trail was nothing but a sheet of ice. And then on the compounded, it was covered with snow. And Trevor was hiking with two other people. And Trevor was, they were single file. Trevor was in the middle. And the gentleman who was in front of Trevor made it through safely. And Trevor slipped, as, as it's been described to me, caught himself for a moment before he started sliding down feet first on his belly down the mountain and eventually cartwheeled out of control and uh, fell 600 feet. You have to make good decisions. You have to mitigate risk as much as you can. And you made one more point. You don't know that you're in trouble sometimes until you're in trouble. And once you're in trouble, it's too late. It's too late to do anything about. So that is where risk mitigation comes in, knowing that I can always turn around Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Aaron, and it's another episode of the Simply Overcoming podcast. Thank you so much for coming back. I'm very excited to have you today, and I'm very excited about today's guest. In 2021, 297 million people visited national parks in the United States. That is just an absolutely staggering number. I had no idea until I started looking into this. You know, With all the access to incredible wilderness areas through trail systems, it has never been a better time to be a lover of the great outdoors. But with that being said, the wilderness is still rugged and dangerous. Even the most skilled hikers, backpackers, and mountaineers of the world are taking a risk when entering the rugged, mountainous regions of the world. Today's story is a cautionary tale. It's a tragic tale, but it's also a story of a man who is using this tragedy as a way to bring awareness to the dangers of the wilderness. And hopefully through his story, his experience can help you or someone you love enjoy the incredible world that has been given to us. Doug Lair, thank you so much for being on the show. Hey, absolutely. It's my pleasure. So I first heard, actually, I remember hearing about, um, about the tragic incident over Facebook through the Pacific Crest Trail Association, and then uh, reading your article and learning a little bit more about, about the situation and what happened there. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something that's close to my heart. One reason is because I spent time on the Pacific Crest Trail. The Pacific Crest Trail changed my life. And I think in general, the wilderness has the opportunity, has the ability to change lives. And, uh, and it's an amazing place, but it's also a place that can be um, rugged and dangerous. And, uh, and I'm, I'm hoping that through your story today, uh, somebody out there can be um, inspired to, uh, to put a little extra weight in their bag, right? Can you talk to me a little bit about your son, Trevor, and his love for the great outdoors? Sure. So when Trevor was 16 years old, he had an opportunity to travel to Yosemite with a high school, um, high school friend of his. And in three days, uh, his friend and his father and Trevor hiked over 50 miles in Yosemite. And Trevor became infatuated with the outdoors. It was as if, I I tell the story, it was as if he had seen the world in black and white, and all of a sudden, uh, by going to Yosemite, it became full color. Um, And he was, he was, it was like the the hiking Cupid pierced his heart with, with an arrow. I mean, it, he fell for it hard. And um, Trevor wanted to incorporate hiking into his life. He had not, that had not been a part of his life in Texas, where we, where we currently live, nor in Cleveland, which is where we lived up into the point that Trevor was about 12 years old. So we bought a lot of, a lot of gear off of Amazon, not knowing what we were, what we wanted to do, but just day hiking is not what, what Trevor was interested in. Trevor wanted to get out into the wilderness. He wanted to, to disconnect himself from civilization. He wanted to carry everything that he needed to survive in his backpack. He wanted to sleep in the outdoors. And so he and I started um, doing some hiking trips together. We, uh, we live in, in Texas, as I had mentioned, and we hiked Big Bend, which is a national park. 
down along the Texas-Mexico um, border. Um, we've done some, some loop hikes. We, probably one of my favorites is Eagle Rock Loop up in Arkansas. Trevor has hiked uh, port, many different portions of the Appalachian Trail, the Presidential Traverse. He and I actually did a 30-mile section of the trail uh, right before he went to college. And while he was in college, he decided that he wanted to hike the Pacific Crest Trail upon graduation. Is it fair to say that maybe some of his just incredible infatuation, uh, uh, what is the word I'm looking for, his incredible love for the trail sort of rubbed off on you as well? Uh, I enjoy hiking. I am not infatuated with hiking. Um, Trevor was in elite athletic shape. Uh, I am not. <laughs> I'll just put it that way. But what I what was an infatuation for me was spending quality time with my son in the outdoors. That's that's what was what was most meaningful and most passionate for me. Yeah. So you know, done a bunch of stuff on the Appalachian Trail. Done what you did some hiking in Texas, and at a certain point in Trevor's life he came to the conclusion that he wanted to hike the Pacific Crest Trail, which goes from the Mexico border to the Canadian border, crossing California, Oregon, Washington. It's about a 2,660 miles of trail. That's correct, yep. What was your first uh, take on, on that um, dream of his? So about halfway through Trevor's junior year of college, he he came to me one day and his mother and he said i think that if i play my cards right and and i do this this and this with my with my schedule i can graduate college a semester early i can get it done in three and a half years and instead of four and i was i was all for for that um the way that I, I live my life and how important my career is to me, I wanted his career to be that important to him. And, and he was going to he was going to be a software engineer. He had a job offer waiting for him at Microsoft out in Seattle. Wow. Uh, so he he was brilliant. He bottom line, um, he was one of the smartest people I knew, bar none. And, you know, um, and then he told me that the reason that he wanted to graduate early was so that he could hike the Pacific Crest Trail. And I was totally against it. He and I had some very bitter conversations about it. And after having some long, heartfelt conversations with my wife, I, and, and she was supportive of it, I came to the realization that while I wanted Trevor to graduate and to begin his, his career, and start earning money and paying off student loans and things of that nature. That's not what Trevor's dream was. So my dream is not what Trevor's dream was. And it took me a while to realize that, that he was an adult. He was, he was going to be, you know, completely free of, of our, you know, parenting prowess, if you will. And that, he needs to start making adult decisions. And if this is his first adult decision, I, I wanted to be supportive of it. So it took me a while to get there. Uh, but when I got there, I, I bought into it hook, line and sinker. I'd like to say as much as, as him, mm. but I know that that wasn't possible. Mm. I understand all of the, uh, the planning that goes into attempting a through hike of the Pacific Crest Trail, or at least a significant portion of the Pacific Crest Trail, which I know Trevor only had 100 days to actually be on the trail. So his his plan was to just do as much as he could in that 100 days, right? That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, he, because uh, Microsoft offered him a job and they they agreed to extend his hire date, but but even Microsoft has the, has its limits and he was going to need to start in the third week of, um, of July. So when it came time for him to pick his start date, um, 
we both felt because it was a low snow year in the Sierra um, in 2020 that an early start date would be favorable for him and it would give him the most time on trail. And his goal was to be able to hike the crater lake before he would have to come off and eventually start his career. And at some point in time later in life, he'd, he would finish the trail. That's a significant portion I mean, as, as you and I both know, California is, you know, over half of the whole entire trek. It's a massive portion and especially, you know, all of that desert area, it's, uh, it's vast. So, wow. So, so you swallowed a hook line, line and sinker. You're all in, you're, uh, preparing with Trevor, figuring out, you know, if he's going to need any food drops, figuring out what kind of gear he's going to use. Uh, I, I'm sure somebody who's as, as, uh, smart as Trevor was, I'm sure he was like becoming a little, maybe a little bit obsessed about ultralight. I know I am, I'm always looking yeah. to see where can I shave those extra pounds, uh, so that I can be quick. And somebody like Trevor who put on as many miles a day as he did, you had to have a light pack to be able to pull that off and on a, on a daily basis. So, so when did, when what year was it that he started the trail and what time of the year did he start? Yeah. So he started on March 16th of 2020. Now, many of your listeners might, might recognize that time frame as, as the start of the pandemic. And, and that complicated things significantly. And, and you're right, Trevor and I, um, I told Trevor that if he was going to do this, um, that I wanted to be his quote unquote trail manager, so to speak, that I wanted to help do, because you have to understand this is, this is a a 21 year old kid who was about ready to graduate college a semester early. He was taking incredibly difficult classes and he was cramming them together. So he could graduate early. And I said, Trevor, you focus on your academics. I will help focusing. I will, I will focus on gear reviews and clothing and, you know, meal drops and, and things of that nature. And so the more I started doing the research for him and the more I started watching, you know, all the, the hiking influencers on YouTube who had, who had hiked the trail, the more I started to fall in love with this. And um, so I was, I was as into this, I think, as he was. And in the weeks leading up to his departure, we were, we were as, as a lot of hikers were, we were focusing on ways in which we could shave ounces, <laughs> not pounds from his pack. And I think when he left, if I'm not mistaken, his base weight was about 12 and a half or 13 pounds. Mm-hmm. So we had stripped just about everything that we could out of that pack. Um, yeah. So he, he left on, on March, uh, March 16th of 2020. You know, hiking into the wilderness with a pack that light, it's for many people, it's almost like going out with a day pack. I mean, it's light. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's awesome. It's awesome to have, uh, less weight, you know, you feel lighter, you can do so many more miles in a day. And at the end of the day, you don't feel completely wrecked and you're ready to go the next day. And when you do this on a daily basis, at a certain point, your body says, oh, okay, it's my job to heal overnight. So by the next morning you're healed and you're ready to go. Uh, you know, of course, there's always complications that you run into with blisters and all that kind of stuff. But, um, wow. Well, I mean, that's so awesome to hear that, like, once you were in, you were all in for your I was son. All in. And, yeah, all and in. something that something that you were able to to experience with him and preparing for such a such an incredible journey. And were you going to meet him along the way? It's ironic that you ask that because you have to understand that when Trevor and I first started hiking, his, 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 his mental approach with me was dad, we will hike at your pace. When you stop, I stop when, you know, we, if you hike at 2.2 miles an hour, I hike at 2.2 miles an hour. And then the more and more and more we hiked together, it was dad, I'm taking off. I'll see you in 45 minutes. And, you know, 45 minutes later, I'd walk around a corner and he'd be taking a nap underneath a tree. So he his frustration with my pace 
I think, started to, to grow on him. And I asked him, I said, Trevor, I've done some research. I think I could find a 50, 60, maybe 70 mile stretch that would not be too terribly brutal on me. What do you think about me joining you? And he said, Dad, um, I, I have a really limited time on trail and I need to put in as many miles as I can. So in, in the most polite way possible, he declined that, uh, that offer for me to hike with him because he, he knew that he needed to move at a much faster pace than what I was willing to go. Leaving mid-March like that, it's a little early. I mean, it's, it's quite a bit early. I mean, I, I left early April and that was considered pretty early. Um, it definitely makes it a lot easier going through the hotter parts of the desert. Something that I personally realized and, and learned when I was on trail was just the fact that you go into the California desert assuming that everything is going to be desert-like warm conditions and very quickly you start to hit some of the the mountainous areas of southern california and um you know getting stuck in some strange extreme ice storm you know in southern california and uh and and you know starting the day at 75 degrees and then you know ending the day in an ice storm so i learned really quickly you know Man, the weather out there can change so incredibly fast. So was Trevor hiking through bits of snow, I imagine? Yeah, so when he started on March 16th, um, the first, I would, I would say, mountainous area that you get into is about 40 miles into the trail, Mount Laguna. Uh, Trevor... Uh, was trapped in a snowstorm on Mount Laguna. Now, fortunately, Mount Laguna is is kind of a popular tourist area, and they have lodges, and they have a, a, a um, I, I would guess the best way to describe it is like a small neighborhood of tiny houses that are Airbnbs that they rent out the hikers during the hiker season. Um, so that was his first exposure to the snow. Um, but that was that was just a you know, Mount Laguna, it, I mean, it has some, some dangerous areas has been described to me. I've never been there, but it was even with snow on the ground, it, it, it was nothing that, that he felt, um, unsafe with. And he and his, his, uh, hiking partners, you know, moved through pretty quickly, even though they had to basically take 24 hours off, but, but that was their first exposure, 40 miles in, and then their their next exposure to the to the snow um, was in the San Jacinto Mountain Range, um, which was right right around um, mile marker 170. So he went a little over 100 miles, uh, primarily through the desert, without a whole lot of exposure to snow between Mount Laguna and the San Jacinto Mountains. Something that. I while reading your your uh, your article about this, something that just made me smile so much is he, when he first took off from the southern terminus, um, making it to Lake Morena in a single day, and just just being so incredibly excited and happy day one of the trail, making it that distance, and and uh, that was just that was a special thing in 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 my mind when I was on trail, and it just it definitely. Uh, gave me some some feels in my heart. Talk to me about the accident, Doug. Um, it was a, it was a tough time. You, you have to understand that that COVID had had just started. Um, COVID had already been heavily politicized, and it was heavily politicized in the hiking community. There were. Uh, there was a segment of hikers uh, or those in the hiking community who believe that no one should be out on trail, that uh, anybody who was on trail should come off. Um, and there were several people who had start dates and with permits ready to go uh, later in March and in April and in May, and they canceled because of COVID. And but Trevor was in the opposite group. Trevor felt that being out in the outdoors was probably the safest possible place that he could be. 
Um, he and I had very heated conversations that he should come home and he did not want to. He was, he was afraid that he would lose this opportunity forever if he didn't take it. And so for the first, you know, six or seven days, we had very heated conversations. I wanted him to come home and, you know, he's a grown man and he's out in Southern California, probably 2000 miles away from, from me. I'm not going to be able to airlift him off the, off the trail. And um, so that was, that was part of what made it so difficult. And then when I finally said, okay, um, I will do everything that I, I don't agree with the decision, but I will do everything that I can to keep you safe. And so we started to reconfigure his plan that he would need to do much longer food carries and, you know, potentially go a hundred miles at a time between uh, resupplying his food. And um, so we had got to the point to where I was not pleased with his decision, but I was continuing to support him. And on March 16th, um, he had called um, my wife and I, and we both had a, had a conversation with him. And uh, I said, how are you doing? And he said, um, I'm exhausted. I'm tired. Other than a few pesky blisters, I feel great, though. I'm just tired. And we're going to pull into to Idlewild tomorrow. And we're going to take two zeros and just rest and recover. We've, we've done eight straight days of more than 20 miles. And um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just ready for a bed and a shower. And um, he's, he, what was interesting is he had sent me a text earlier in the day and he said, elevation, I think 6,900 feet back in the snow. So they had gotten to an elevation where, where he was finding snow on the ground again. And, um, and I said, okay, well, just do me a favor when you, when you get into Idlewild tomorrow um, just, just call us, let us know that you made it in safe. Your ice axe and your micro spikes are, are and, a, and a food resupply are waiting for you at the post office. Uh, you need to get there by five. Otherwise you may have to wait until Monday, um, to pick it up. So Trevor was 14 miles away from Idlewild, which for a through hiker is nothing. I mean, you'll, you'll be there by, by lunchtime. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, that Friday came along, Friday, March 27th, and I was not feeling well. I, I, in retrospect, I look back, maybe I feel like I had, I, I, you know, maybe it'd come down with COVID. I'm not sure. So I lay down on the couch and a friend of mine who is an avid through hiker sent me a text and he said, oh my gosh, did you hear there was a death on the PCT today? near where Trevor, Trevor's last location was. And he sent me a link, the um, Palm Springs, Desert Springs uh, local newspaper, which is in the valley right below um, uh, where Trevor was, had published something that said an unknown PCT through hiker um, died from his injuries after falling down a section, down an ice chute, I think. And... Um, so I, st- I immediately started trying to text Trevor, call Trevor, no answer, voicemail, no answer, voicemail. But the newspaper reported that the accident happened in Mountain Center, and Trevor was in Mountain Center the day before, not that day. So I felt pretty confident that the that the hiker in question was not Trevor. Um, but when you're in the wilderness, 40 miles... <laughs> One way or the other could be close by. 50 miles could be close by. And I continued to try and call him and call him and call him. And um, it was not until Friday evening that that I, I really started to get worried. I knew Trevor would be in Idlewild no later than 5 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And by Friday evening, I was really starting to get worried because I, I knew that even if he was there and was lazy and would you know didn't call me, that he would at least have his phone on and would, it would be, would be accessible. So at that point in time, um, the newspaper article referenced Riverside County Sheriff. So I called Riverside County Sheriff and they, they didn't have a whole lot of information that they could, they could share with me. 
they recommended that I call the coroner, the county coroner. So I called the, called the county coroner. And again, the, you know, I, I, they asked me to describe Trevor, which I did. They didn't give me any indication on the phone that, uh, that the, the person they had was Trevor. Um, so I, I was not worried. They just said, Hey, you know, can you send us a photo and we'll just rule them out. Then you can get back to, back with your evening and, and not worry about it. So I sent them a photo of Trevor that, that was taken a day before he left for the trail in his hiking gear. And about an hour later, they, they called me back and they said that Mr. Lair, we, we think we have Trevor. And that was, that was the most, it was the most devastating thing that's ever happened to me. It, um, and I went into shock. Mm. I didn't cry. And I immediately focused to, I've somehow got to communicate this to my wife who was working. I've got to be able to communicate this to Trevor's sister, who is just a couple years younger than he was. And I, I was just numb. And long story short, the coroner said, we think that we have Trevor, but we don't know for sure because we can't identify him. And I said, well, Trevor had his wallet with him. He had his driver's license. And, um, and they said, well, we, we need definitive proof. We need fingerprints or dental records or something like that. And um, so we went long into the evening, even past midnight, and uh, the coroner would periodically touch base with me. And she said, we're, we're, we've run his fingerprints. He's nowhere in the system. Finally, at about one o'clock, uh, or it hasn't come back clean, I should say. We've run his fingerprints. We still have not gotten anything back from the FBI um, for the database that the fingerprints that were in. And about one o'clock in the morning, the coroner called back and she said, um, what I can do for you, because I said, just send me a, a photo. She said, I'm not allowed to do that. But mm. she, what she did is she said, do you have an iPhone? I said, I do. She said, I'm not allowed to, for privacy reasons that could be shared. I can't send you a photo, but if, if you would be willing, you and your wife would be willing, we could do a, a FaceTime and I could show you a live video. And when she did, it, it was Trevor. And um, yeah, so it, it was tough. It was, it was, it was tough. And the next day I got up and I, I just, I was not only in shock, but um, then that whole evening, I couldn't even deal with the emotions. I just felt like I was walking around like a zombie. And then the next day is when the emotions came. And, um, but there was all, there was so much vitriol going back and forth in the hiking community. And there were, you know, I saw once, once the news got out, I saw some, some hikers post, he deserved it. He should have never been out there. No. He put search and rescue. He put their, their lives at, at risk. Mm. And there were other people who, you know, who understood it for what it was that, you know, just this kid living a dream. It could have happened to anyone. It wasn't COVID that killed him. It was, it was a tragic fall. Um, I guess I haven't even spoken about what happened. So he got out of his tent that morning and there was some freshly fallen snow from the night before on his tent, a couple inches, nothing significant. They were hiking North towards Idlewild. They had hiked about three miles and came to a section of trail called Apache peak. And Apache peak is known to be an extremely dangerous section under, under the right, uh, uh, weather conditions. Yes. Because what happens is Apache Peak wraps around the northeast facing side of the mountain and the trail cuts into the side of the mountain. So it's very, very steep drop off to your right. And what happens is, is because there's some, it's, it's a wooded section. So it doesn't get, get sunlight during the day or very little. And when the weather gets warm enough or this, the snow gets penetrated 
by the sun, it will melt, but then it will immediately refreeze at night. Mm -hmm. And so there's these freeze thaw cycles that continue to happen. And so the trail was nothing but a sheet of ice. And then on the compounded, it was covered with snow. And Trevor was hiking with two other people. And Trevor was, they were single file. Trevor was in the middle. And the gentleman who was in front of Trevor made it through safely. Um, and Trevor slipped, as, as it's been described to me, caught, his, caught his, um, his stability, caught himself for a moment before he started sliding down feet first on his belly down the mountain and then started to cartwheel out of control. Because, I mean, as it, from what I understand, that it's a 30% incline and just nothing to stop you and you're just on a, a sheet of ice going mm. faster and faster and faster and, and eventually cartwheeled out of control oh. and uh, fell 600 feet and and fortunately the two gentlemen that he was with called called search and rescue and it took them about an hour and a half to get there and once they got the flew the helicopters in and and dropped somebody down to him trevor had already passed but um oh terrible it, it it it's just horrific horrific i can't i can't even begin to imagine doug and you and trevor were close weren't you oh my gosh he, he was his his mom was his was his i think his emotional best friend and he and i had a very different relationship uh, you know Father son. Yeah, it's a father son relationship. I have a similar relationship with with my mother, and um, so our relationship was different. Um, but my gosh, we we loved each other to death. It just, um, yeah, it's almost two years later, and it's it's still it still feels like it just happened yesterday. All right. Yeah, I'm sure. It's, it's, it's unfortunate that this, that this happened and I just, I'm, I'm blown away that you are, you have taken this tragedy and you're willing to share it with the world to help other people. And that's the first thing, big thing that I realized when reading your article is like, that's, this isn't an easy thing to share with the world. I, I just, I can't even imagine, but your, your selflessness in, in being willing to use this story as a cautionary tale. And I just have to say, from my perspective of being a mountaineer, um, you know, climbing mountains like Mount Rainier regularly, you know, accidents can happen to the best. Yep. And in fact, it often does end up being the best who do have the accidents because they're just so used to being in those situations. They're less careful. And, um, you know, an ice sheet like that, even with an ice axe is, it's so hard to stop e even with an ice axe. And so, um, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just a freak accident. And, and there were two other people there. There were, and I, I spoke to the search and rescuers and, um, they were, they were not confident that even if he would have had an, an ice axe, it would have made a difference. He was, he was extremely well-read, and he read about how to use an ice axe and how to self-arrest and watched videos, but he never had any, any experience. Trevor was an experienced hiker, but he was not an experienced mountaineer. Mm. He wanted to be a mountaineer, and he knew that when he moved to Seattle, he would be given that opportunity. But, but So that, that terrain was, was relatively new to him. Um, and even if he would have had his ice axe, I, I don't know how much it would have helped. I think that crampons or micro spikes or some sort of traction device would have probably served him better. Um, and I, I truly believe that if he would have had them with him that day, he would have been there. But the search and rescuers took photos of, of the trail where the accident took place and they shared them with me. And it still, I, it boggles my mind why he was without 
traction devices without an ice axe, why he was out on that section. And I think the only thing that I can come to the rationalization is, is that he was just, he was an elite athletic shape. He was 22 years old. He thought that, Hey, I got this. And, um, yeah. And he didn't, he didn't have it. He didn't have it. So, but, um, in the, in the days following his accident, my wife, Karen and I wanted to, because his name was in the news. I mean, he, he, uh, Palm Springs, Desert Springs newspaper, the Ottawa Wild Town Crier. It was on the PCTA Facebook page and, and website. Um, and I wanted people to know that this just wasn't some ill-prepared kid who crawled off the couch one day and decided he wanted to hike the, hike the PCT. This was a young man who, who trained both mentally and physically for it, immensely trained. He had had the equipment he needed. Now, unfortunately, his, his ice and snow equipment were not with him at the time of the accident, but he would have had them the next day. And I, I accept responsibility for that. And it's, it's the hardest thing that it's something that I have to deal with because I told Trevor that I would, I would do, do the research while he was studying at school. And it was just a, a section of trail that either I missed or I, I didn't read enough about. I knew about Fuller Ridge and Mount San Jacinto, who, who were, had notoriously dangerous slopes, but not Apache Peak. No. And so I decided I wanted to write an article about my son to the hiking community so they would just know who he was. Yeah. And so I reached out to the trek which is which is a, a hiking media company and asked if if i wrote this would you be willing to publish it and they said that they would and i was invited to participate in a podcast with them backpacker radio and i participated in that but in both of those in the article that i wrote and the podcast it was just storytelling about my son and about his accident and then other podcasts wanted me to participate and I wrote other articles and I realized that it would, that it was very self-serving if all I did was tell the world about, about Trevor and, and about his accident. It's an emotionally compelling story, but it just, it, it would come across as very self-serving. And, and as we started to distance ourselves a little bit from the accident, I realized that I cannot let his his accident be in vain that something positive has to happen about this and that and it, at that point in time um probably about oh maybe five or six months after his accident that that the you know the light bulb went off in my head that said i have a real opportunity here yes. to be a hiker safety advocate and make sure that people are aware of the dangers of the wilderness, the dangers of mountaineering, the importance of risk mitigation skills, the importance of having the right safety equipment and not sacrificing safety at the expense of a few ounces. Yes. Yes. That's awesome, Doug. I, I just, I'm so, um, so honored to have you telling this story on the podcast and, and, um, and, you know, thinking about the Pacific Crest Trail and the mentality of being on the Pacific Crest Trail, I think a lot of people get into sketchy situations, but they just don't want to stop. They just keep th that mentality of just keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing, and then you're in trouble. And the trouble always comes, um, you know, if, if, if you see it coming, it wouldn't happen, right? So what, what has your experience been shifting from Trevor's story to talking to people about the dangers of the wilderness and how to be prepared in these situations? It's a, it's a great question. And the feedback has, has been phenomenal. The, I have received thousands, literally thousands of emails um, from hikers who have told me that Trevor's story has changed the way that I, that I prepare 
for the outdoors has changed the way that I have prepared for my through hike parents of through hikers, because most through hikers are, you know, in their twenties, many parents worry and, and my words <laughs> probably don't, don't calm them at all, but it, it makes them realize that we need, I need to have more conversations about safety with my child or my son or daughter before they, they leave for the trail. I had a young woman who started the PCT. Her trail name was Grit. Uh, she started late May in 2020. And she stopped at Trevor's accident site and, and made a memorial video and laid some flowers at the spot of the accident and mm -hmm. sent them to me. It was, it was very humbling. And because she started so late in the season, she, she knew that she was going to be battling pretty treacherous conditions up in the Cascades as she was approaching the Canadian border. And she reached out to me and she said, Doug, my boyfriend and I, who she was hiking with, my boyfriend and I were 30 miles from the border, 30 miles. And we were snowed in. And she said, I had border fever. Um, and there was nothing that I, I wouldn't do to get to the border. And she said, and then I thought of Trevor's story. And I asked myself, if Trevor was in this situation, knowing what he knows now, what would he do? Mm. And she called her hike wow. 30 miles from the border, 30 miles. I have had multiple other ex stories very similar to that, where people say, I got to this, you know, really sketchy ridgeline and it was covered with snow and ice and I was not comfortable going across. And I just felt like I heard Trevor whispering in, into my ear, turn around, go back, do it. Do, you can do it again some other time. Mm -hmm. And that is what I have realized is that the greatest gift that Trevor has ever given to me came uh, after his accident, and that is the gift of purpose, because this is what gives my life purpose now, is knowing that I, I might be able to save a life, that I might be able to help someone. Um, wow. I, I, one woman put it to me this way, she, she's, who is a hiker. Um, her, her trail name is Sleuth. And she said, Doug, I, I'm, I'm a retired police officer. And she said, when I would train my cadets in the police academy, when we would pull over um, somebody suspected of drunk driving, she said, I would always tell them, you can't ever give that, you can't ever cut them a break because you don't know if you cut them a break, will they go out and do it again and kill somebody? So she said, I always taught the cadets that you, you basically you throw the book at them as a police officer, because you can't take the risk of them, you know, potentially killing somebody. And she said, and I always told the, the cadets, you'll never know how many lives you say save, but the universe will know. And someday you, you'll eventually know. And she was, she was kind of giving me a pep talk one day. And she said, you have no idea how many lives you've saved by doing this, but the universe knows and Trevor knows. And eventually one day you'll find out too. Hmm. Doug, I believe that there is something that's so important about sharing your own personal story. And that's the whole reason why the Simply Overcoming podcast exists, because I think that sharing your story can help someone else, but it can also help the person who is sharing the story. And like you said, it's given you purpose and being able to help these young people, oftentimes young people who are headed out into the wilderness, to talk to them about the importance of safety and uh, so that another incident like Trevor's doesn't happen again. And, yeah. uh, you know, and it could have been anyone, Doug. I mean, yes. talk to me a little bit about about safety and and what is your relationship to the pacific crest trail now are, are you regularly in contact with people who are hiking um how do you reach out to these people most of them reach out to me okay uh, ironically enough 
Um, I have partnered with a wonderful um, foundation called the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation. My family has. We, we feel or have felt that we need to take our advocacy and, and the hiker safety education to the next level. And that next level that we've identified is that just educating somebody about the dangers of, of Mount San Jacinto or, or Apache Peak is one thing, but being able to, to do something about making it safer for hikers is what we wanted to do. So, so my family partnered with the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation, Nomad Ventures, which is a gear shop um, in Idlewild, mm. with Catula. Catula is, is a manufacturing company that, that makes traction devices, micro spikes, crampons, et cetera, for people who mountaineer. And a small restaurant, a very famous uh, through hiker restaurant on the PCT called Paradise Valley Cafe. Mm. And what we've done is that the my family and Fowler O'Sullivan are funding, personally funding, a 20% discount for micro spikes, for Catula micro spikes, if you buy them at Nomad Ventures. When you purchase them at Nomad Ventures, you place or you identify your ETA in which you will arrive at Paradise Valley Cafe and they will personally hand deliver your micro spikes to Paradise Valley Cafe, um, which is right around mile marker 151, I think. Mm -hmm. So you'll pull in, you'll get your cheeseburger and milkshake and fries. You can pick up your micro spikes before you head up, um, do the steep climb up into into the San Jacinto mountains towards Apache peak. And so I, I coined the phrase, you know, safety where you need it, when you need it. And so this year we're committed to, to um, at least selling a hundred sets of micro spikes at a 20% discount to hikers. They don't need to carry those spikes with them across the hot desert floor. They get them right when they need them, where they need them and gets them safely um, up up into Idlewild and then through the San Jacinto Mountains. Just advertising for that program, I'm, I'm very active on most of the PCT Facebook groups. I, I have to tell people I am not a safety expert. I have not been in mountaineering conditions. I, I, there are plenty of people that I could, I could put hikers in contact with, <laughs> but I am not a safety expert. I am a hiker safety advocate. And um, so I just, I do some, some education on these Facebook groups, of course, every year, it's a new crop of, of kind of fresh, inexperienced hikers. So every year there's an opportunity for me to educate. People reach out to me. Um, people like yourself reach out to me and invite me to be on their podcasts. Um, I collaborate with the PCTA and authoring some blog posts or some articles about safety and uh, anything that I can do to advocate. But, but you had, you made a mention earlier about people making bad decisions. And, and I don't want, I, I don't know, I, I wasn't in Trevor's head that day, so I don't know if he made a bad decision or not. It's easy for me to armchair quarterback it and say that he was, mm. or that he did make a bad decision. But your, your listeners need to understand that when you start hiking a trail, when you through hike a trail like the Pacific Crest Trail or the Appalachian Trail or the Continental Divide Trail, you develop relationships with other hikers on the trail and you become a small community and you hike together and you camp together and then you eat together and it's just wash, rinse and repeat every day and you become, this is your new family. Yeah. And they, they call them Tramley as in trail family. And Trevor was with two gentlemen. I don't, I have no reason to believe that, that they pressured Trevor into and doing something. But oftentimes, as you said, I've got to go, go, go. I got to push through because if I don't, my two trail, trail family members are going to go through. And if I don't, and I backtrack and turn around, 
I may lose them forever. Uh, I may not see them again. Yeah. And so people, people, it's, it's almost like peer pressure. So that's the, that's the other thing is that I, that I tell people that you have to have good sound risk mitigation skills and understand that these people that you met on trail, while they are, you might have developed really close personal friendships with, it's the, your loyalty and your obligation is not to them. It is your family and friends that you leave behind back home that your loyalty and obligation is. If something tragic happens to you, like what happened to Trevor, his trail family didn't have to deal with funeral arrangements. They, it's, it's the people that you leave back home. So you've got your obligation to them is my promise and commitment to you is I will do anything and everything possible to get home safely. And I, I use example, maybe you don't get into a car when you're hitchhiking because something doesn't feel right. Yeah. Or you're in the Sierra Nevada mountain range and you have to cross a, a, a raging river in which you could, you could die in if you slip. You have to make good decisions. You have to mitigate risk as much as you can. And I, you made one more point that, that you don't know that you're in trouble sometimes until you you're in trouble and once you're in trouble it's too late it's too late to do anything about so that is where risk mitigation comes in knowing that i can always turn around a friend of mine came up with the with the hashtag embrace the alternate kind of like embrace the suck which is a a common hiking term embrace the alternate Mm. because there's an always an alternate way to get around the dangerous section, mm. embrace the alternate. So, you know, as a mountaineer, I've had my fair share of turnarounds on different mountains, and good for you. And you see, you know, I mean, you see some of the best climbers turning around, some of the most competent teams on the mountain turning around because of elevation sickness, because of just the slight possibility of bad weather coming in. And uh, what people always say up on the mountain is. Doug, there's always another day. Yep. There's always 100%. another day. And so, um, you know, making the decision to turn around and, uh, you know, a, a lot of the turnarounds that I've had on, you know, Mount Rainier has been turning around because somebody in the team was having some type of elevation sickness. And, you know, it's just not worth risking it. If somebody's having problems, you just turn around because you never know if you if you're up on the mountain and, and exposed in those types of conditions and somebody isn't able to get down on their own now you're in a very serious situation so um always another day people have you been able to um be in contact with the gentleman who was hiking who were hiking with trevor so one of the gentlemen um was german and and his english was i i i spoke with him once and i could understand him perfectly but i think that he lacked confidence of interacting with people solely in english and so I, I did not uh, stay connected with him. There was another gentleman um, that Trevor hiked with. His name was Cody, and he was from Australia. He had never even seen before, snow before, let alone hike in it. And I actually stayed in touch with him all the way through to the northern terminus. I sent resupply packages to him along the way, and every time he pulled into a town, uh, he would he would give me a call and we'd video chat for 45 minutes or an hour wow and this was a gentleman who was 26 years old and what he probably will never realize cody if you're out there you he saved my life because he allowed me to continue to experience the trail while it wasn't through trevor's eyes mm. it was it was as if I was following along with Trevor and um, he, I even sent him some ashes and he sprinkled them at the Northern terminus for me. Mm. The, the emotional intelligence that Cody has is one that I cannot ever repay. And while he and I do not talk frequently, Um, he and I send Facebook messages back and forth, you know, once or once a month or every other month, something like that. 
Um, now that he's done with his trail or with his hike, it, we're, we don't have that bond like we did, but uh, we'll be connected to, together forever. Mm. He, it's, he's one of the most amazing humans I've ever met. Wow. When I was reading your article, uh, something popped out to me, which was a, a quote of, of Trevor, of your son, and that is that we are not individual souls, but a collection of the souls of the people we love the most. We are in the universe. And uh, that's amazing. We're all here. We're all here together. And I think that it's so easy to tear people down um, on social media for whatever we we see this in our world right now where it's so easy to destroy people being a, a keyboard warrior whether that's saying i would have done something differently in that situation or whatever i'm sure you've heard it all read it all but um but you know I we're have. we're all here yeah. we're all here together and uh you know take take that to heart and it, anyway thank you so much for being on the show do you have any last words that you'd like to share with the listeners I do. Um, and I, I appreciate the opportunity. People will oftentimes go on these hikes to find themselves or to, because they want to challenge themselves physically. And for Trevor, it was a little bit of both or so I thought. And after his accident, um, three or four months later, I was up in his, his bedroom. Actually, I think looking for a piece of hiking equipment because I was going to go out and, and do a short trip with, with one of my friends. And I looked over and on his desk um, was his journal it, because Trevor believed in journaling and, and motivated him. It, it kept him accountable. And um, while this is very personal, I think it's telling just so people understand Trevor, the person and who he was and why he chose to hike in the very last entry that Trevor wrote says a note to self. I might get a little emotional here, so just bear with me. Whenever you're reading this, if you're reading this and regardless of whatever happened, wow, all of these years of planning have culminated into the biggest challenge of your life, uh, or excuse me, would have culminated into the biggest challenge I would have ever imagined. Tonight specifically has cemented the reality and responsibilities of my impending fate. I hope I've achieved my goal of Crater Lake and maybe more, but if it is for deserved injury or quitting on a bad day, then it is time to reassess the commitments that you make to yourself. Regret lasts forever. If this isn't the case, however, I hope the experience was greater than anything that I've ever imagined. A past me making habitual marks on the page from the other side of metamorphosis, you. That was the note that he had written to himself before he left for the trail. Oh, so wow. yes, thank you. Thank you very much for letting me share his story. It does serve as a cautionary tale. And I just want, I just want people to be safe. It, you, your comments at the beginning were so poignant that you walk out into the wilderness. It is dangerous. There's dangerous wildlife. There's dangerous terrain. And no matter how prepared you are, bad things can happen to good people and you've got to be prepared. You've got to consider safety as part of your planning. And I just tell people risk mitigation and making sure that you have the right gear, no matter what, even if it means carrying extra ounces or an extra pound. Mm. Thank you, Doug. Trevor really had a way with words. My goodness. It's amazing. Yeah. How can people follow in your in your quest in your journey to provide micro spikes to the people of the trail? What what's the best way to get involved if they are 
if they are at all inspired by today's story and what could they do? Well, the first thing that I would do is if you're an outdoors person and you rely on search and rescue personnel to, to sacrifice themselves potentially um, in the event that you have a tragic accident, you fall, you break your leg, you break your arm, you become dehydrated, whatever the case might be. There are local search and rescue teams all along the Pacific Crest Trail. I would advocate and, and ask that if you are an outdoors person, a mountaineer or a hiker, that you donate to your, your local search and rescue. If you have an interest in donating to the search and rescue that, uh, that brought Trevor back home to our family, it is the Riverside County or the, excuse me, the Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit, the RMRU, Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit. It is a 501c3 volunteer-based organization located in Hemet, California, in Riverside County. If you are looking to find a foundation that aligns with helping keep hikers safe and invest into preventative search and rescue tactics, which is called PSAR, Preventative, Preventative Search and Rescue, uh, as well as um, this, this foundation employs uh, resources to help families who have hikers that have gone missing. That foundation that I work with, again, I mentioned them earlier, is the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation. Okay. And uh, so those would be three, three recommendations. If you feel so compelled to do so, the Fowler O'Sullivan Foundation, Riverside Mountain Rescue Unit, or your local search and rescue. You, you have no idea. Tomorrow, they could be saving your life. And finally, if, if you feel so inclined, the Pacific Crest Trail Association, the organization that maintains the trail and purchases land uh, to keep the trail contiguous and, and make it as safe as possible for hikers and to keep it well-maintained, is an organization that I would also encourage your listeners to donate to the Pacific Crest Trail Association. They have an army of volunteers that keep 2,650 miles worth of trail clear for people who want to recreate on them. And uh, that's, that's another great place for people to donate if they feel so inclined. Man, I can tell you, Doug, as a hiker running into people along the trail who are clearing the trail, who are with the PCTA out there clearing that trail, oh my goodness, we, we love them. We, we, yes. we love them oh, greatly. Sure. Oh my goodness. And, and uh, especially in Southern California with all of the, uh, man, what's that bush? The poodle dog bush. Poodle dog bush, yep. Oh my goodness, yeah. There are sections of the trail where it's like you're just trying to work your way around that stuff, and running into somebody who's clearing it, you're pretty you're pretty happy about that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And you know all those down trees, the blowdowns that you know they have to get get out there with chainsaws and cut, or you know rock slides or boulder slides. Um, yeah, all that stuff. I mean, it is. And sadly, 2020 and probably early into 2021 was almost a wash. They couldn't get anybody out on trail because of COVID. And so they, they will have years before they're going to be caught back up. But um, another great, great place for people to, to donate. Because if you love getting out, recreating, hiking on those trails, um, yeah, you rely on those people more than you know. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Doug, for being on the podcast. Remember, everyone, there's always another day. Practice risk mitigation and uh, embrace the alternate. Right, Doug? Embrace the alternate. And Thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you so much. And, and people can find you on social media as well if they're interested in following you personally, yes? Yes. Uh, my Instagram, which is pretty much dedicated to uh, hiker and hiker safety, is D-O-U-G Doug underscore Lair, L-A-H-E-R. It's my first and last name, underscore in between. That's on IG. Um, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm the only Doug Lair on Facebook. So a lot of people reach out to me um, on Facebook through Messenger. 
Um, so yeah, that's the best. And any, and if anybody, this is probably, I think this may be, well, now you found me on Instagram, mm-hmm. but, uh, my, my email address is out there and it's well known. It's how many people reach out. My email is Douglas with L A S not Doug, but Douglas dot Lair L A H E R at Gmail. Wonderful. Perfect. Thank you, Doug. And thank you to everyone who has made it to the end of this podcast episode. I really hope that this episode has been uh, enlightening and, uh, and it has been as special to you as it has been to me. So I'll talk to you guys later. Bye-bye.